go ahead and warn you now. I can sense my, my voice leaving me, so it's possible, although no guarantee, uh, that uh, uh, this message could be a little bit shorter than normal. But I know you don't want to be disappointed, so we will we'll trek on as if uh, this is what God intends for us to do today. But I do want to invite you to open up a Bible, to open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. I would encourage you to, to follow along as we read God's Word and reference God's Word. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, there should be one somewhere near you in a pew rack. And if you don't have... Uh, a copy of God's Word at home, please take this with you and use it, read it, learn it, memorize it, internalize it, and we'll certainly uh, replace the one in the pew. The title of today's message is Proper Plunging. Proper Plunging. Now, I'll warn you that title is probably a bit deceiving because I'm not here this morning to tell you about the de- the best technique to uh, get your commode back in action. Not here this morning either to uh, even uh, talk to you about the importance of uh, baptism by immersion, by plunging into the water, as we often talk about in uh, good church-going Southern Baptist circles. But rather, I'm here this morning to to speak to you from God's Word about the dangers, the potential danger and the potential fallout potential plunge into sin that took place after the initial fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 and the potential danger and plunge into sin that still serves as a warning to all of us today as we seek to live lives that are pleasing to God that are not characterized by sin, consistent sin, intentional sin. So I think we'll see from this morning, based on God's word in Genesis chapter 4, that wherever God's supremacy is ignored, sin's destruction abounds. Wherever God's supremacy is ignored, sin's destruction abounds. And we'll see this clearly from God's word in the case of the first murder as recorded in God's Word in Genesis chapter 4, between Cain and his brother Abel. But last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, the fall, well-known passage of Scripture that recounted Satan's temptation of Eve and Adam going right along with it, rebelling against God, disobeying God, though he had provided everything they needed in that Garden of Eden, eating of The one tree that they were forbidden to touch, forbidden to eat. And as a result, the human race has never been the same. As a result, the consequences of sin have been extended into all creation. The doctrine, theological doctrine known as total depravity, that, that all of us, every man, woman, boy, and girl, is characterized by sin. We all have a sin problem. Sin's roots run deep in us. On our own, apart from God, apart from the Spirit of God leading us, we cannot overcome that problem. Certainly, 
Cain, as we see here in Genesis chapter 4, could not overcome that problem either. So look with me now. Genesis chapter 4, God's word there, as we see this slippery slope of sin and its devastating consequences when the importance of God, when the centrality of God, when the supremacy of God is ignored. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and... I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one would, who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God... Created the first human couple, Adam and Eve, and he blessed them and he commanded them to to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Now, the human race has taken God's command seriously. Adam and Eve conceive and give birth to a son, Cain. Conceive again and give birth to another son, Abel. Scripture tells us here that Cain worked the soil, and Abel kept the the flocks, he cared for the animals. Nothing wrong with either of those occupations, both essential, both both important uh, occupations, ancient time, but it's interesting that already Abel is painted in a positive light as the one who is carrying out the very instruction of God. To rule over the rest of creation. To be a representative of God as as part of those that are created in the image of God. To rule over the animals of the earth. Cain, on the other hand, is not painted in as positive a light as with an occupation that to a certain extent, and particularly 
The difficulty of it was a direct result of the fall. That he would work hard to make the soil produce a crop. And so both of these brothers bring an offering before the Lord, an act of worship. Abel's offering is accepted by the Lord. He looks with favor on Abel's offering. Abel brought the best, the fat, the first of his creatures, of his animals that he's herding. Cain's offering. Cain brings some of his fruits. The Lord does not look with favor on Cain. And so Cain is angry. He's outraged. He's upset about this. And wants to take this out on his brother Abel. But God in His grace, knowing the temptation, cautions Cain. Warns him. Says, if, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Cautioning him about the spiraling effect of sin. And Cain, in his own sinfulness and pride and selfishness, ignores the, the caution of God, the warning of God, and invites his brother Abel out to the field and kills him. The Lord confronts him, questions him about what this is he has done. Of course, Cain attempts to cover this up. I don't know where Abel is. Am I my brother's keeper? As if anything could be kept hidden from God. One who knows all things, who knows every thought, who knows every attitude, who knows every action. As a result of his sin, God punishes Cain. Makes him a, a restless wanderer across the earth. In this account, we read about a spiraling sin problem that is the direct result of a worship problem. Don't miss that. A sin problem that is the result of a worship problem. Because Cain failed to recognize the supremacy of God in his worship. And as a result, sin got the best of him. When pleasing God is not the central aim of worship, sin rules the heart. When pleasing God is not the central aim of our worship, sin rules the heart. We were, as as people, as creatures, as men and women created in the image of God, we were created for worship. We were created to worship our Maker, to glorify our Maker, to exalt the Lord. He is the one that created us in the first place. He's the sovereign creator who made the universe, who made the heavens and the earth. He is the one we owe our very existence to. He is the one who sustains us day after day after day. And He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our exaltation. He's worthy of our worship. We were created to worship Him as the one who is supreme. When the supremacy of God is ignored, sin's destruction abounds. This is what happened in the life of Cain. Failed to give God what he deserved. Failed to give God the first and the best, which is what God deserves and God requires. The Lord did not look on favor, with favor on Cain's offering. On the other hand, Abel gave God the first. He gave him the best. He recognized the importance of God, the 
supremacy of God, the position of God as the one who is sovereign over all things. And God looked with favor on his offering as a result. And if God is not central, jealousy flourishes. If God is not central in our worship, both corporately as a body of believers and individually as followers of Christ, if God is not central, then jealousy will flourish in our lives. Cain had already failed to recognize the supremacy of God. As a result, pride had crept into his own heart, into his own life. God was not on the throne, so to speak, in his life. He was. This was reflected in his worship. And because pride was already there, because sin was already there, it would be natural for Cain to be characterized by pride in relation to his fellow man. In this case, his brother. If God is not central, jealousy flourishes. And if God is not central, temptation triumphs. If God is not central, temptation triumphs. Cain already lured into sin. His own pride. Anger, no doubt, toward God for looking on his brother's offering with favor. But also anger toward his brother. Jealousy towards his brother. And and yet God is still gracious. He warns him. In verse 7 he says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In other words, Cain, even now, even though you've made a mistake, Even though you failed to bring me the first and the best, it's not too late. You can still do what is right. Watch out for sin. Watch out for jealousy. Watch out for pride. Watch out for temptation because it's crouching at your door and it's about to get the best of you if you don't recognize it and overcome it. And even, even so, Cain follows the path of pride. Have you ever played a, a game for the very first time? You really didn't know the rules very well and you were playing with a group of folks that knew the game much better than you and you make a, a foolish move not understanding exactly how things work and somebody steps in, a much more experienced player and says, wait, wait, you don't want to do that because if you do that, you're, you're going to lose the game. It's a good friend, by the way, who will Do something like that. And life is much more than a game. But this is essentially what God is doing here. He's warning Cain. He's cautioning Cain. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Pride is crouching at your door. Recognize it. Turn away from it. Repent. Rather, Cain does the opposite. Gives in to temptation. Invites his brother out to the field. Premeditated, premeditated murder, and kills him. And God comes to him again. He denies responsibility. If God is not central, responsibility is rejected. If God is not central in our lives and our worship. Responsibility is rejected. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. 
he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Sort of reminds me of the murder mystery type shows that are on television today. In particular, I think of a show called 48 Hours. Anybody ever seen that show? A few, and a few more that probably won't admit it. But 48 Hours is a murder mystery show that detectives and police try to investigate a homicide and, and to make an accusation, determine who the suspect is, who the killer is, within 48 hours of the actual murder. And rarely, very rarely, does the actual guilty party, does the actual killer admit to what they did. It's usually somebody else that rides them out, like a friend or an acquaintance or a witness. But here God is is not questioning Cain because he doesn't know what happened. God knows all things. He knows what took place. He knows that Cain is guilty. But he's questioning him because he's given him an opportunity to confess his sin. Just like he did Adam when he came to him after eating the forbidden fruit. Adam, what have you done? And just like his father, Adam, Cain denies responsibility, doesn't take responsibility, doesn't confess his sin before God. And as a result... God punishes Cain just like he did Adam. A punishment that even so, Cain in his own self-centered universe protested. If God is not central, his punishment is protested. How many times have you said something's not fair? It's not fair that Joe has a lake house or that Lucy got a new car or that I was laid off from that company that I worked so long for that I was grounded for two weeks for something I did that none of my friends ever get in trouble for doing. How often we claim that something wasn't fair in our own lives. No doubt I've done that before. You've done that before. Children have done that before. This is Something that we as as people do. And this is what essentially Cain was saying. Even though he was filled with pride. Even though he was jealous. Even though God was not supreme in his life as reflected in his worship. Even though he murdered his own brother and then lied about it to God. God's punishment was too much for him. Protest the punishment of God. But even in his punishment, we see from God's word in Genesis chapter 4 that God's grace was still present in his life. If God is central, then his grace is taken for granted. God is central, his grace is taken for granted. Although God punished Cain for his sin, he put a hedge of protection around him. Protection that Cain took for granted. Cain complained. He would be a restless wonder and then whoever found him would kill him. And God said, not so. I'm going to put a mark on you and anyone who kills you will be in trouble with me displaying what God thinks of of blood revenge. God is not central. His grace is taken for granted. It's taken for granted because he failed to see the position of God, the supremacy of God, the worthiness of God, the righteousness of God. The one against whom sin is such a big deal. 
Wherever God's supremacy is ignored, sins, destruction abounds. And in the verses that follow, Cain's defiance continues. Look back at Genesis chapter 4 with me, picking up in verse 17. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujael, and Mahujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So what, what is going on here? What, what's the importance of this account, this genealogy, this record of these names and what they did? Well, essentially, Cain is kicked out of the presence of the Lord as a punishment for his sin. He settles down somewhere and he begins to build a city and he has children and They began to contribute to that city and to develop culture, music, and all sorts of things. But the significant thing here for us to take away is that there is no mention in these verses of God and His plans. God is silent here. No reference to God. No acknowledgement that, that He is the author of life here. That He is sovereign. That His plans are most important. That He is supreme. Psalm 127 verse 1 tells us that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. When human plans ignore God's plans, sin multiplies. When human plans ignore God's plans, sin multiplies. And that's what we see here. God is not important. He is not supreme And sin plunges further and further out of control for Cain and his descendants. The descendant Lamech becomes the first polygamist, ignoring God's plans for marriage. Becomes a murderer, devaluing human life. Life that's created in the image of God. And then he boasts about what he's done. He boasts about this defeat of this young warrior before his wives and commands and requests greater leniency and vengeance on him than was true for Cain. When human plans ignore God's plans, sin multiplies. But even so, God is still sovereign. God is still good. God is still able And God still ensures that His plans will be accomplished in this world despite our failures. Despite human failures. And we see this in the final two verses of chapter 4. Look at verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. 
saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. God's supremacy is preserved by the righteous. God's supremacy, His importance, His worthiness is preserved by the righteous. I struggled with that wording a little bit this morning, the last few hours that I thought about this. And I thought, does that really reflect the truth? Because God's supremacy, His position, His importance, His worth is not dependent on anything that we do or any way that we treat Him. But what I'm trying to communicate here is that the supremacy of God, the worthiness of God, the importance of God, the magnificence of God is preserved, is maintained in the hearts and the minds of the righteous. Of those who recognize who He is and submit to Him as Lord. So here, after a period of silence about the Lord, no mention of God and His provision or His plans, in verses 17 through 24, all of a sudden in verse 25, Adam and Eve conceive again. And recognize that it is the Lord who once again provided. Recognize that God is supreme. God is the author of life. And even though their faithful son Abel had been killed, murdered, was no more. They now had another. Seth possibility of another faithful son who ultimately might be the one through whom God would carry out the gospel. The promise of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that the seed or the offspring of Eve would crush the head of Satan. And at that time through the line of Seth and Enosh people once again began to call On the name of the Lord. Church, wherever God's supremacy is ignored, sin's destruction abounds. So as men and women and boys and girls that have been created in the image of God, recognize our sin before God and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, let's acknowledge God's supremacy today. Let's acknowledge His centrality, His importance in all that we do as a gathered body of believers All that we do in His name, even when we leave this place today, let's recognize that God is supreme. We exist to glorify God, so let's worship God alone and for God alone. Let's worship God alone and for God alone. When the co-pastor of the largest church in this country says that we don't really worship for God, we worship for ourselves, there is something seriously wrong with the Christian subculture in this nation. Folks, we don't worship for ourselves. Sure, we benefit from worshiping God because we find the most joy and satisfaction when we know Him and glorify Him and and seek Him and give Him what is due Him, but we don't worship for ourselves. We worship God For Him alone. God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. So let's worship God alone and for God alone. And secondly, let's seek the Lord in everything. Seek 
the Lord in everything, in all that we do. May His plans be our plans, from our career choice, to our home choice, to where we go and what we do on vacation, to how we parent, to how we treat our spouse. Let's seek God's plans in everything that we do because He is central, because He is sovereign, because He is worthy. Seek the Lord in everything. And thirdly, just as Eve did with the naming of her son Seth that means something like new beginning or foundation, let's commemorate God's provision. Commemorate God's provision. Acknowledge and recognize when God provides for us, and He does day after day after day, providing for our needs, giving us breath, giving us life, physical, material sustenance. Let's acknowledge that those things are from Him. The gift of children is from Him. Let's acknowledge His provision so that that we and our children and our children's children recognize where where life comes from, where provision comes from, where sustenance comes from. To commemorate God's provision. His physical provision, but also His spiritual provision. The greatest provision that God gives us is salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Gives us life in Him. Forgiveness of sins. Reconciliation with Him. Restoration before Him. Though we have sinned, just as Cain did. That doesn't treat us as we deserve Because His grace is greater than our sin. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God told Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 10, that Abel's blood cried out to him, cried out to him for justice from the ground. In the words of Gerhard Von Rad, 20th century German Old Testament scholar, Abel's blood, even the best and dearest, never brings salvation in the presence of God. Instead, it brings the burden of the curse. It increases the burden of the curse. But Christ's blood speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Thus the Bible speaks of two kinds of blood and their voices before God. One is millionfold, and its message is accusation, while the other is the blood of the one, and it brings healing. Do you know the healing that is found in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know salvation that is found in Christ today? Are you plunging deeper and deeper into sin? Or have you plunged beneath the fountain of the blood of Christ for salvation? Which plunge are you taking? Under the blood of Christ is the right place for proper plunging. For broken sinners before a righteous and holy and eternal and mighty God. So plunge there. Plunge before the blood of Christ today. Plunge beneath His blood. That's where forgiveness is found. That's where restoration is found. That is where life is found. Eternal life that will be spent forever proclaiming the praises and the nature and the goodness of God. So let's proclaim God's nature today as believers. Let's proclaim God's goodness. Let's proclaim God's character. Because He is good. Because He is righteous. Because He is worthy. Though we are guilty. Stained. 
by our own sin before God Almighty. He offers forgiveness and extends forgiveness to us through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's proclaim God's nature together now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for every day and acknowledge that every day, Lord, is a gift from you. We thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you that you've created us as your people, that you created us in your image and you desire intimate fellowship with us. Lord, forgive us where we fail you day after day. Sink deeper and deeper into our own sin, as the hymn says. Lord, help us to be drawn to the blood of Christ. We thank you that forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you loved us enough, that you came to us, that you died for us, that you gave your life as a sacrifice for us so that through your blood we might be found righteous, washed, clean, no longer guilty, Lord, but innocent before you. Remind us of that truth today and help us to worship you as a result of your goodness, of your worthiness, of your greatness, of your magnificence, Lord, as a result of you being supreme. Lord, hear our worship now. May we exalt you and approach you boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ's name I pray.